Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to So I Got To Thinking, the weekly Sex in the City podcast where we take the iconic questions of Carrie Bradshaw and apply them to modern life and love. As ever, you are listening to Juno Dawson and Dylan B. Jones and this week we are joined by a very special guest. You might know her as the Guilty Feminist, but we know her as comedian Deborah Francis White. Hello. Hello, Juno and Dylan. What a delight to be on your show. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And you are now our ACAST stable mate as well, which was recently right. announced. That's right. I am I've I've come over to the behemoth that is ACAST and it's exciting because they're we're doing all sorts of new podcasts and things with them. So it's been it yeah, it's been a it's been a genuine delight. And uh I've I've become a fan of your show since I was on a panel, an ACAST panel with you, Juno. Yes. Yeah. I mean I've 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 been a guilty feminist listener since back in the days with Sophie that's that's how long I've been listening years going way dark in that's like five and a half years Mm. but I I so I was a very late podcast adopter and I like having a binge of a podcast so what I do is I I tend to come very late to the party but then enjoy having the backlist to work I'm a serial monogamous with podcasts I Mm. will just I really went into homo sapiens in a very big way Mm. Um, and lately, I know I'm very late to the party with Off Menu, but I have been enjoying, seriously enjoying some James A. Castor and Ed Gamble terrorising comedians <laughs> and others about what, whether they'd have still or sparkling water in a restaurant. I really fancy James A. Castor as well. I can't even pretend that I don't. Um, I met Chris Sweeney from Her Persepians this week, actually. We, we've been sort of like internet friends for a while, but I actually met him in real life at the Attitude Awards. What a nice man. Yes. Really obsessed with him. Proper charmer. Love him. Mm -hmm. Love him. Absolutely gorgeous. This week on So I Got You Thinking, we will mostly be talking about Series 4, Episode 11, Shudder, Woulda, Coulda. As ever, Dylan, do you have a potted synopsis for us? I do. I have an island edition of the potted synopsis this week. Oh, we should explain Dylan is joining us from the island of Menorca. Yes. Yes. With muslin. That's how much we care. With muslin curtains and dappled swimming pool ceiling. Um, yes, so this week, I thought, great episode this week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Miranda gets pregnant, so obviously it's a major event, a major plot event. Um, and it's uh, mostly about Miranda um, wondering basically whether she's going to keep the baby or not. And the kind of ripples that that causes for the other ladies. Um, Charlotte, it's really unfortunate timing because Charlotte 
has just found out that it's very unlikely that she can uh, conceive a child in the way that she wants to. Um, and Carrie, uh, yeah, so yeah, and Carrie is basically struggling with who to tell and whether to tell anyone. And um, Samantha has a silly B plot with Lucy Lou and a product placement Birkin bag. Um, Although I tell you what, I'm obsessed with that plot as well. We, yeah. We're going to go in, we're going to deep dive into the history of the Amaz Birkin <laughs> later, fear not. Um, but yeah, and we did the question that we, the question that we have to attempt to answer this week is nigh on impossible because the question that Carrie posits is, are we there yet? Um, which we'll try get to in context, but but that it's quite a difficult one to to pick apart. So I suppose what this episode really becomes is a conversation around not a woman's right to choose as a woman's right to choose is the basis of a much later episode called A Woman's Right to Shoes. Um, <laughs> but we are, we are looking at, as it turns out, one of very, very few notable plots about abortion in American TV. Yeah. And I've, I've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole um, with... With America and abortion, really. And what's interesting is I asked Deborah to come on this week because just last week you were out doing some pro-choice protesting, which I thought For was Texas. amazing. For and Texas. it worked, gang. It worked. Mm-hmm. We marched from Trafalgar Square to the American Embassy and a mere days later, a judge has at least temporarily overturned Texas, Texas's draconian efforts to stop women accessing abortions, although they can't you can't truly ban them because of Roe versus Wade. So I'd like to think that it was our protest out out the front of the American embassy where I spoke that was the straw that broke the camel's back (laughs) of Texas's uh, inability to maintain their terrible stance. Uh, But yes, stories matter. Uh, They do. As Hannah Gadsby says, story holds our cure. And um, here's here's something interesting, re-abortion and this episode. When... Ireland repealed the 8th, mm-hmm. which wasn't long ago, only a few years ago. Mm. And then they surveyed people as to what had made them change their vote. The biggest thing that had changed people's minds was stories that they had seen about abortion and women wanting to choose what happened to their own bodies on television and in the media. Wow. More than, interestingly stories of people they knew and I I think that is because that was also very influential but I think people can exceptionalize for their own family I think they can go well our Mary really did need determination but overall they're wrong and I don't want them in this I don't want them in my country but uh, this was a very special case and we can Mm. do that for people we love we can ring fence it off we can have cognitive dissonance but when you see story after story after story at the theatre, on the radio, on the television, when you see a film, suddenly, oh, this person I don't know is also my sister Mary or my daughter Eileen. And suddenly there are loads of people who now you feel for as much as you feel for your sister because that's what a good story does. Mm. And so that's why representation really is important. It is the thing that has eroded homophobia more than anything 
just having gay characters on sitcoms yeah. who were worried about their receding hairlines or picking up their kids on time <laughs> from playgroup and not yeah. being predators in a in a in a gym changing room. So I do think that this storyline uh being an early a quite early storyline on American television of a much beloved show of somebody going in to have an abortion, talking to her friends who'd had abortions, um, was was probably quite important. I think it was. I did a little deep dive this afternoon. The first televised fictional abortion was actually good old B. Arthur from The Golden Girls in a show called Maud. Oh, I was going to um, say, was she yeah. not too old in The Golden Girls? By the time The Golden Girls came around, although she <laughs> played... so famous Golden Girls abortion. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, that would be quite the plot, wouldn't it? <laughs> but it turns out that I didn't realise there was... B. Arthur was, before Golden Girls, she was famous for a show called Maud, in which Adrian Barbeau played her daughter, and in Maud she got pregnant at 47, and because she already had a daughter in her 20s, she went ahead and what was interesting is that episode of Maud aired about two months before Roe versus Wade Ooh. actually passed through um, the Senate in, in America. And if you're not familiar, Roe versus Wade is the legislation that finally made abortion legal in in North America. And there's, if it, I would really, really recommend there is um, the You're Wrong About Roe versus Wade podcast, which is basically what schooled me about the legacy of Roe versus Wade. Because as Deborah said... Roe versus Wade, even though it was put through in the 70s, it still is very much a talking point in some states in, in America because they're constantly very conservative politicians are still looking for ways to undermine that piece of legislation by making it harder and harder for women to access legal abortion. We should say that women have always sought abortion going back generations through healers and witch doctors and witches before witch doctors. Women have always sought to terminate pregnancies. What we are always seeking is for safe, legal and affordable access to abortions for, for people who can have babies. Um, so however much Texas tries to ban legal abortion, you're not going to stop abortion. Just like burning my book, Wyoming, isn't going to make your kids any less gay. This book is gay is under fire in in some states at the moment as well. Wow, you made that's how you know you've made it. <laughs> yeah, it's depressing though. Is it's it's depressing though that that's how I know I'm famous in America yeah. that that people are burning my book outside libraries. Wow, yeah. as Dylan said, you know, it's it's quite flattering that they think your mm. book has so much power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean it's 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 wild. Although it's it's funny, I was at an award ceremony this week and a kid came up to me lovely guy called Joe who's going to be in this new thing for Netflix it's this super cute like LGB um T drama called Heartstopper and he plays the romantic lead and he's just turned 18 last week and he sort of came up to me really tearfully and he just went I read this book is going when I was 12 and uh -oh. it made such a difference to my life and I was like this is mad I've been around long enough <laughs> to apparently have now made an impact on adults, on adults so that's yeah. that's worrying <laughs> um but anyway back to miranda back to miranda and her um unborn child yeah um and maud so since maud there were so in the 20 years between maud and this episode of sex and the city there were surprisingly few abortions on television and they tended to be and i think this is very interesting 
in young adult shows. And I often think that young adult work is pushing boundaries and continues to. Um, Beverly Hills 90210 had an abortion storyline. Um, the girl who went on to play Anya in Buffy the Vampire Slayer was one of Jason Priestley's girlfriends. She had an abortion. There was Did abor- she have Jason Priestley's? No, abortion. I didn't think so. So it was it was a story about how she had had an abortion in the past, and she is a journalist who writes this story about a girl called Nancy, and the twist is she is Nancy, and she's actually writing autobiographically, and she's the woman, the mystery Nancy who had an abortion. Um, and this young listeners should know twists were were much less twisty in the nineties. We we would we were dished up some fairly <laughs> mediocre after school special fare at all times. Television was terrible, uh, so if you're thinking, well, that's no uh, Game of Thrones. You're right. <laughs> Correct. The girl who had an abortion was me. But this, this so-called um, friend wasn't a friend after all, and I knew it wouldn't be Jason Priestley's. I knew it no, would be because imagine, he's the kind of clean yeah. heart, and mm. yeah, all the Republicans would have banned their children from watching it. Mm-hmm. I thought of two two storylines mm-hmm. um, when I was thinking when I was trying to think of other stuff. One was Sandra O's oh character in Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. um, which I found massively frustrating because. Uh, and we can get on to whether this is the case with Miranda or not. Uh, the reason I found it frustrating is because that character at that time just would have had an abortion. She would have, and she didn't in the show. Um, and it was just so kind of obviously like pandering to, I don't know, pandering or maybe like the showrunners didn't agree with the board or something. So um, hang on, was this her first or second? Because apparently early in the early days of Grey's Anatomy, she has an ectopic pregnancy. And then later on, so she was in this piece I've been reading this afternoon. So I think there were two abortion storylines ah, with I Sandra. Didn't, I didn't watch all 500 series of, of right. Grey's Anatomy. I got about, I got I, about three I series in. Later <laughs> on, she was allowed to have an abortion. Oh, interesting. And actually interesting. Shonda Rhimes has spoken about how in the ah. early days of Grey's Anatomy, no, the character was not allowed an abortion. Yes. And then they, and actually Shonda then revisited that in, a, in an episode of Scandal as well, where Olivia Pope does have an abortion. Um, and the difference as well, and I was messaging Deborah about this earlier, the difference between, there was 10 years between Sex and the City and Girls. And of course, Miranda notably does not have her abortion. And 10 years later, Jessa on the same network does have an abortion. And also just the things like in this episode, and I don't know if viewers spotted this, the word abortion is only mentioned twice, um, notably once by Carrie and once by Charlotte. Um, the rest of them it's kind of alluded to like did you go through with it did you have it have you had one I've had two and so even the word abortion is such a touch paper is that what the word I'm trying to say yes it's flammable flammable in America I think in particular yes when uh, Miranda I've always remembered this line of dialogue when Miranda rings the doctor she says um, I need to book a procedure. I'm pregnant and I need not to be. Yeah. And it's that round the houses. And that is speaking to her discomfort as a mm-hmm. character. She doesn't want to say it. It's a procedure. Um, but uh, I, I've, I, I, it really stands out to me. But I didn't notice that everyone else was skirting around it. So when Carrie talks to Aidan, mm-hmm. she doesn't say the word abortion. She does once. So Sarah Jessica Parker says it one time and Kristen Davis says it one time. Um 
and when that, she's talking to Aiden, all those yeah, conversations, she, yeah. it's um, all vagaries. I guess she says, I guess she says, I can't remember exactly. Um, she's not going to keep it, maybe. Mm. Or something. She's yeah. pregnant. She's not going to keep it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Um, I thought it was interesting and really quite, I thought it was really well done that Carrie, so you saw Carrie telling the girls that she'd had one abortion and then she and Aiden are talking about it and she says, oh, I, I thank God I've never had, I, I thought that was a really important piece of dialogue, um, just showing how, just showing how women feel, feel judged for it, particularly by, particularly by men. And I wish, I wish the question, I wish Carrie's big question this week was something to do with judgment which mm. felt would feel like more consistent with the, with all the different threads going on in this episode about who is judging who and who is judging themselves. And I think where this episode is a success, because it has been commented since that some, some people, and I read lots of Tumblr posts and things from a few years back about how it frustrated some viewers that Miranda doesn't get her abortion, that she somehow psychs herself out of it despite the amazing scene in the pizza restaurant which i love where she's like i'm having steve's baby pizza for everyone <laughs> yeah. which because yes yeah, she doesn't kind of want a baby and then she kind of gets in her head and realizes you know what if this is it what if this is my one shot at being pregnant because i have a lazy ovary and which i think was mentioned first in season two and and she, she sort of gets in her head about, you know, one day I thought I might have kids, so I guess maybe I should have this kid, kind of, even though she says very plainly at the beginning, it is not in my plan right now. Um, do we think that's common? Do we think, do we think that happens a lot, that women, or I should say some trans men or non-binary people as well, when people get pregnant and it's a surprise... Is it more just context? Is it the context that influences the decision more than not? I know certainly, I'm not going to name any names, but a friend of mine fell pregnant some period of time ago. And it was really interesting. And for lots of different reasons, there were three of us in the room that day, um, the mother and then three friends. And we all said, abortion? Anyone? Just because it wasn't the right time for that person to be having that child. There were financial reasons, there was relationship reasons, there was all kinds of reasons. But when push came to shove, even though this person is fully pro-choice, fully supports the right of people to have abortions, she herself just couldn't face getting one. And so she had the child. And so I think context is really important, always. Yes, I think, I know people that have got pregnant, weren't expecting it, didn't think they wanted a child, but then once it was there, they were like, exactly that thing of, maybe I won't be able to get pregnant again. Is there ever a good time? Actually, now I think I do want it. And I think it is quite common. But I also think it's really easy for all of us to feel, or many of us to feel squeamish about it as well, but we don't feel squeamish when someone ejaculates into a condom. And that's all these potential babies as well. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, we don't feel squeamish when someone takes them, when well, most of us wouldn't feel squeamish when someone takes the morning after pill in case, and we'll never know, and it's just a little tiny 
sell and you know it's there or it isn't we don't know you, that's mm. not something to feel squeamish about mostly I don't think most people would feel squeamish about that and it, it, so one never knows you know one never knows in, in all those other scenarios so it really isn't very different from that but I think it's I think we've had we've been told a lot of stories that it mm. is mm. and so I think we're all susceptible to go oh um, when I got out of I got a taxi to the march uh, that I had to speak at because I, I didn't want to be late. And the taxi driver uh, said, and uh, why am I taking you uh, there today? And I said, oh, I'm speaking at a protest. And he said, oh, what's it about? And I said, abortion. And he went, oh, sad business. Lady's choice, though. Lady's choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I told I told Matthew <laughs> Reed, who's the leader of the Women's Equality Party, she went, listen, I've heard worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She was like, you know, it's not a bottom line sentiment. There's still a lot of nuance missing there, but there is a bottom line sentiment. Sad business, <laughs> ladies' choice. I told him he was a feminist hero when he got me there on time. I said, you yeah. need to tell everyone you're a feminist hero. He said, oh, I don't know about that. I, I said, no, no, you need to tell your family and your friends that I said you're a feminist hero. He's, he said he was, he was quite pleased then. Um, no doubt he's listening to this. Hello, I'm sure. He's a big, big fan of Sawyer, I was thinking. But I do think, I do think what really saves us, regardless of Miranda's decision to have a termination or not, is the fact that Carrie and Samantha have, and nobody bats an eyelid. Yes. It's kind of like, I've had two. And I mean, Carrie, Carrie gets yeah. very Carrie about, um, hello, I had one, and you all know about it because, you know, it was a big chapter in my life, the yeah. night, the night at the tunnel when she makes out with Chad. And I enjoy it when um when someone says like, oh, he was from TGI Fridays and she says, no, actually it was he was from the saloon. He wasn't yes. from TGI Fridays. Um but yeah, I mean I was I was eagle eared for the exact for exact dialogue because I know how much of a how much of a sensitive issue it is, particularly in American TV, and there are things that like cause massive massive amount of controversy if you say the wrong thing. And Carrie literally said, I made the right choice. In her voiceover, it was a it was a pro abortion episode. Oh, even 100%, if, yeah, yeah, which which is good. But I I mean I I can see why people thought it was a cop out that Miranda didn't have one. But the reason I wasn't mad is because that it made they made it make sense at least. Also, we I think it was interesting that the person le- who you think would least like to have a baby out of those four, maybe even including Samantha, because Miranda's so hard edged and career focused, and I've got to make partner ends up having a baby, that creates other interesting plots for her down the line and storylines for her down the line. So I thought that was actually quite interesting. The way Sex and the City ties up, where she ends up with a husband, a baby, and looking after her mother-in-law in her home, is a little bit like, oh gosh, they all end up in these, you know, heteronormative um, yeah. scenarios. But, and, and Miranda, more than anybody in the most, you know, happy family in the suburbs actually has to move to Brooklyn my god which I remember being a scandalous storyline that was much much worse than the abortion storyline was having to move to Brooklyn of course now of course now Brooklyn is the place to be and everyone yeah she made the right oh she that, got in on the ground yeah, yeah she'll she have made millions out of that um doing up that yeah. terrace yeah the brownstone she earns she earns all of Queens now does Miranda because she <laughs> yeah. sold her Brooklyn brownstone um but no, I do. I think you're right, Dylan. I think there is some attempt there to kind of do the, the 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 discourse. So, although it's interesting, none of them are anti-abortion. 
Charlotte is upset, not because it's an abortion, but because she really wants a baby and Miranda's thinking of having an abortion. It's not... Charlotte doesn't have an issue with access well, we to don't, abortion. Well, well, we don't she know. Doesn't say, does she? she doesn't say, does she? She doesn't say, no. Yeah, yeah. She's too wrapped up in herself to be more broadly political at that moment. <laughs> yeah. It's too much about her. Um, <laughs> she I, was the worst in this episode, I thought. Did you think, oh, I think I want to, I want to come to Charlotte later. I want, to, I want to have a little Charlotte moment. But before we move on to Samantha and Charlotte, I think more compelling perhaps about you know the discourse in that we've got samantha strongly pro-choice you've got carrie pro-choice but there's that telling line you know how long until you feel normal and carrie says any 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 day day now now. any day now that plays into a republican view of abortion you're you're damaged you'll never get over it and I know plenty of people who say they never, never thought of it again. Again, it was just like having yeah. a morning after pill for them. They're like, it's absolutely not the right thing for me. And I know some people who are affected and say, I think every single year, I think, oh, my God, I'd have a 10-year-old now, whatever. Which she does say. She says, I could have a 13-year-old by now, but I wouldn't know you. So I think that line jarred for me. It did make me think, oh, are we playing into that idea that, you know, people have it, they give brochures to young women at abortion clinics going look this is how you're going to feel you're going to be damaged and ruined yeah that's how, can you remember i know dylan and i both enjoy the showtime show the l word where kit as played by the amazing pam greer accidentally goes to one of those fake abortion clinics which is um i didn't realize that was a thing that's that was something else i found in my rabbit hole this afternoon which is in the bush era he put a put a lot of government money in these um, pregnancy crisis centres, which a lot of people booked into thinking they were abortion clinics, but they were actually traps to convince people to keep their child. And and in the episode of The L Word, they give, they give Kit a little box, and in the box there is a pretend fetus. Mm. And they're like, this is what your baby's like now, don't kill it. And that, to me, is terrifying that such a thing existed and still exists in the United States. Blurs my mind. It's literally like, John, it's psychological psychological torture, isn't it? Like, yes. it's crazy. John Oliver did a whole piece on them and they're legal. It's legal to lure people in, making them think that they, you're there to help them terminate and then actually you're not. You're there to trick them into and, and emotionally blackmail them into... Uh, forcing it really it's forced birth giving forcing them to give birth to a baby they don't want which when you think about how little america supports single mothers or uh children of any sort in any way shape or form socially it's absolutely despicable really despicable what can i ask what you thought about aiden's attitude mm, yes that's what i was coming to next so that was tell wasn't it and it's the line for me Aiden says it just seems like the guy gets the short end of the stick does he say short or shit I thought he said shit end of the stick I thought he said shit end of the stick as well so I'm reading on I'm reading on a, an account on Entertainment Weekly so let's oh, okay. I think he says shit end of the I stick I think he says shit end of the stick yeah. so um, Aiden says it just feels like the guy always gets the shit end of the stick always really? Aiden? Always? <laughs> yeah, constantly. 
constantly, really? where it, certainly where it comes to pregnancy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely hardest for the for the guy, isn't it? Oh, definitely. always, always. <laughs> like um, who? This episode was written by Jenny Biggs. It was written by a woman. It just seems like the guy gets the shit end of the stick when it comes to pregnancy. It's a nine month process with. You have to birth live young at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is then enormous societal pressure for you to feed said live young yeah, like a from parasite. your body. A parasite um, it is. Like, because if you don't do that, you're a bad mother who wants your child to get rubella or some eradicated disease. I don't know. And then, you know, it is assumed, you know, that the, the mother will remain with that child forever kind of in a way that it's yeah. just not expected of Aiden um so now no Aiden I don't think men do get the shit end of the stick when it comes to sexual reproduction I think actually Steve and his one testicle ejaculated and now Miranda is in a really tricky place and we'll notice um you know Steve barely features in this episode. He's in that one scene where... Yeah, that's true, actually. ...where he's peeing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Well, the way that... And, and I think this should have been the big philosophical question. The mm. way... What Aidan is really talking about, he says then, if she's not even going to tell him, the guy has no say in this. And if I were debating Aidan, what I would say is, so what? So what if Steve says, I do want to keep this baby is she, and she, if she really doesn't want it is she meant to harbor it have all of those things happen to her body and then push it out and then just give it to him and walk away which is traumatic for her traumatic for the baby mm. traumatic for him and so that's the only way because men's rights activists always say this that that men have no choice that if she wants the baby she's going to have it if she doesn't want the baby she's not going to have it and they don't get a say in it but how can they really have a say how can they because it's her that has to bring it out. I do see that as a man, if you knock someone up accidentally and then she keeps it, then you have the choice to be either then a single father who does his bit or a deadbeat dad who doesn't, who sods off. And it might tie you to a city that you don't want to live in. Um, I, it, it may be difficult for you to get custody. There are issues for men that I absolutely am sympathetic about. And I do see that. But also... Uh, until cisgendered men can conceive, what are we going to do about it? Like biology <laughs> is dictating. Yeah. yeah, it's in it's 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 her body, not his. And this is this is why I campaigned really hard to repeal the eighth back in, back in Ireland, and then why, interestingly, a lot of Irish feminists have helped out the trans community in the United Kingdom in the most recent years as well. It was quite a symbiotic thing. Because I think really what it's about, it's about your body and being able to do what it is that you feel is best for your body. Um, I don't think we're going to spend long in Trans Corner this week, but, you know, m my big experience of abortion campaigning was in the Republic of Ireland back in, I think it was 2017. And then, you know, since then, Irish feminists have been nothing but welcoming to um, gender recognition in the Republic of Ireland as well, which, is, which came through in 2016. So, you know... 
it, that's what it's about and it, it's about bodily autonomy and I think now what's really really wonderful is I think a generation of teenagers are growing up now understanding the phrase bodily autonomy and all its implications including things around vaccines you know this is a conversation that's very 2021 which is should a teenager be able to make a decision regarding their vaccination status you know and that's again it comes back to it's it's my body my choice and that's the same conversation that we've been having since Roe versus Wade, apparently. Um, let's take a short break now, and when we get back, we will talk about Miranda and Charlotte and also Lucy Lou. We'll see you in a sec. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi and welcome back to So I Got To Thinking. This week we're watching Shoulda Woulda Coulda and we are joined by special guest Deborah Francis-White. So, Aiden's on the naughty list. Um, Miranda is pregnant. What about Charlotte? Dylan, you said that Charlotte pissed you off. Why? Mm, yeah, I mean, and maybe that's not fair, but I thought she was being very... I do understand, obviously, why um, it was terrible timing. Um, and I thought that scene at brunch was great when Carrie and Miranda are just sort of looking at each other like, oh my God, oh my God. And I think we've all kind of been there, haven't we? In like similar, in like, in situations where someone's inadvertently putting their foot in it and we know that feeling. But I just thought Charlotte was at at times like maybe inexcusably self-involved, maybe. Um, just not never really acknowledged that Miranda was was really going through something while Miranda acknowledged that that she was that Charlotte was going through something she did redeem herself though Dylan because mm. when when Miranda supported her in the street by following yeah. her home I love that was so scene. moving that was really sweet she yeah. responded by coming around to what she thought was the scene of a termination that's a true of flowers that's true and then when Miranda says no I'm keeping it she could have then been crying, going, you get to have a baby and you didn't even want yeah. one. And I'm not going to get to have a baby. But instead, she says the classic line, 
that I think speaks to what Sex and City is really about. Sex and the City is not about sex. It's about female friendship. Yeah. And so ultimately, when she says, I'm keeping the baby, Charlotte says, <gasps> we think, oh, God, oh, no. And everyone's <laughs> going, oh, God, oh, no. And then she goes, we're having a baby. Yeah. Yay! No, that was sweet. It's that beautiful. That was sweet. Yeah, and you're right. Then uh, Carrie says, and with the, in the voiceover, and with that sentence, three aunts were born, which, of course, isn't really true now because... Firstly, they were all rubbish when she actually had the baby. <laughs> yes, and didn't terrible. Visit her, and she had to beg them to visit her. And Samantha came round and put a vibrator in the uh, in the baby in the baby holder. In the baby cot. <laughs> and you can see how many babies I've had. The baby holder. <laughs> um, but secondly, uh, secondly, uh, in the reboot that's coming, um, Samantha, Auntie Samantha, not around. She's not that's, around. Let's be. Perfectly honest about that. Auntie Samantha didn't want to be an auntie. She was forced into it. It was not her it was not her choice. And it's Samantha's right to choose whether she wants to be around all of these people with babies and she doesn't. Apparently the reason Kim the last the final straw for Kim Cattrall, and I don't know if this is true or not, was in the third Sex and the City film, there was a proposed storyline where Samantha would have had a kind of a fling with Brady. And like no. Samantha would have been Brady's sexual awakening. And so no. quite rightly, Auntie Samantha was like, fuck no. Samantha and... would have been Brady's sexual awakening. <laughs> yes. Oh. Wait, did I say no. did I say Samantha or Miranda? Sorry, I didn't Samantha. mean Samantha. Samantha. Sorry. Yeah. Mm. Samantha. Yes. Well, that's I mean, three aunties were born. I mean, that is, I suppose, one of the jobs. Uh, a non-biological auntie can do cool is the sexual yeah. awakening. I mean, I, fe- I felt Charlotte, to, to finish on Charlotte, you know, I felt for, I understand a, my friends who have had fertility issues in their 30s. It's horrendous. And it does, it really does take over your life. If you ever have a chance to see the play Yerma, I saw it with Billy Piper. You know, it was a real... Sorry, is that a name drop that you went with Billy Piper to see? It? Oh no, she was in. She was in. I went with Billy Piper to see that. I was going to do with the name drop because I'll tell you who I was sat next to. So it was literally <laughs> no fault of my own. I was sat next to Benedict Cumberbatch at Ooh, Yerma. So we wow. both went to see Mancy. Billy. So um, you went to see it with Benedict Cumberbatch. He didn't know you were with he him, didn't, but you were. I was. Although strangely, then Benedict Cumberbatch did acquire the rights to one of my books. So, strangely, and I, I, so I've told Had him Had he already since, done that? Because I would have then said, I think you've just optioned one of my books, Ben. It was before. So it was like oh, a year, it was damn like a year it. before. So when I did eventually oh. meet Benedict, I was like, we once sat next to each other in the theatre. And he was like, oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I do. I feel for Charlotte, but and I'm glad that the scene where Miranda follows her home is lovely. So let's let's finish up with possibly one of my favourite things about this episode, which is Lucy Lou. Um, wearing her J'adore Dior tank top, which they still trying to get. I've been, you know, I've been trying to get hold of a second-hand J'adore Dior tank top, and they're on Vestiaire Collective, but they're about eight hundred pounds. I will not. I will not pay eight hundred pounds for what is two no. pieces of cotton stitched together with a spoon yeah. on the front. Yeah. Um, but I'm more obviously the Lucy Liu cameo is glorious. We love Lucy fuck. Lou. Yeah, I'm we never, love Lucy Lou. I'm never sad to see Lucy Lou. And she would be. What kind of monster would be sad to see Lucy Lou? <laughs> Bill Murray, allegedly. 
Why oh, Tommy really? Moore? Oh, they hated each other on the set of Charlie's Angels. They oh. he quit because he said he wouldn't work with her ever again. So but Bill Murray is meant to be the nicest man in the world, isn't he? Doesn't he go up to strangers and tap on the tap them on the shoulder and go, "It's me," but no one will ever believe you and run away and things like that. I've heard. I've he's... heard. I've heard this too. Yeah. There was but... there was a, a historic feud between Lucy Liu and Bill Murray. Wow. Um, but um, I did love that. But I I'm more fascinated by the Birkin. And just the sheer concept of one, the cheapest one I could find. So do you want to guess how, what do you think a second-hand Birkin mm. retails for in 2021? 2,000 pounds? I'm going to go more. I'm going to go five grand. 10,000? 8,000? The cheapest I could find <laughs> was 17,000 pounds. Oh Stop it right now. <laughs> yeah. Even as I said 2,000 pounds, I was like, I thought I'm no, super low balling. I don't know where I think I'm shopping. It's, it's fascinating. So here we go. A brief. So I think this is of interest to our listeners. The the Birkin was conceived on a flight. Um, the actress Jane Birkin um, emptied out her bag in front of um, Jean Louis Dumas, who at the time was the head of Hermes, and he was like, "Gosh, you need a bag with pockets." And and Jane Birkin said, "The day Hermes do a handbag with pockets is the day I will buy one." And he went, "But I am Hermes." And apparently on the back of a sick bag, together they drew up the plans for the now famous Birkin bag, which even has a place to put a baby's bottle. This is the same twist as in the 90210 storyline, just to be it's clear. the same twist. I am a mess all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. They, they are truly the investment bag. You can't buy them. They've always kept them off sale. So the only way you can get a Birkin is to apply or buy them secondhand. They have enormous markup in that they um, appreciate in value over the years, which is why now a 2003 Birkin that would have cost $4,000 is now worth £17,000. And the most expensive one at auction went for well over a million. And that was, was that Jane that was, Birkin's Birkin, though? That must have been hers. It was a diamond-encrusted one. Was um, it the sick bag that they wrote the um, <laughs> ideas on? I would pay four grand for the sick bag that had the sketch of the Birkin on it. I mean, it is, just, it, is just, um, it is just disgusting, isn't it? And this is something uh, that we actually haven't come to much yet, but I think we'll start to come to more with Sex and the City, how much it's celebrated, particularly in the later seasons in the films, capitalism and um, consumerism, and how now that's just so not a good look. Like in the 90s oh. and early noughties, it was really like part of pop culture, wasn't it? Like excess, not yeah, so much but now. Dylan, 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 they missed the turn off. They, when they made those sec oh, yeah. that second film, it was already past that oh, time. Oh yeah, that's And that's true. when we were all like, no! And it was, it was when, I'll tell you when it really went for me, was when they got to Abu Dhabi, there were four limousines there, one each, to drive them to the location. And anybody would have said, oh, no, we're not comfortable with that because of the environment. You don't want to burn up all of that petrol. Four, four of us will go in one stretch limousine. That's a lot more fun. Thank you very much. Yeah. Please put other people in these limousines. Excuse me, sir, would you like a lift back into the city? Because you just wouldn't do that. And they were still in 1996 and they yeah. had no idea. And I was watching that just face palming. It was horrifying. The whole of the second film, by the way, I just, 
it actually, for a long time, destroyed the the show for me. Mm. So I, was like, mm. I, I pretended this is who these people have become. Mm. I read um I read an incredible. Friends. I read an incredible scathing review of it in uh, the Telegraph, actually. And the reviewer said, at this point, it's just Sex and the City is just gay men playing with life-size Barbie dolls. And I was like, God, that's so true (laughs) Um, in the second film. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the gay man playing with those Barbie dolls, lest we forget, is back and writing and just like that. So we we ought to be careful. Michael Patrick King, please do come on the podcast. We'd love to have you. (laughs) Yeah, look... Um, all is forgiven for the second film. I mean, the first film. I, look, I honestly, enjoyed the first, the first film. The first film was terrible, but I was I enjoyed spending time with my friends. It was like yeah. it was more like a reunion. It was more yes. like you know if you go to the you haven't seen friends for years and then you say oh let's meet up at a cocktail bar. You don't need anything to happen. You don't yeah. need any drama. You don't need plot twists. It's just being with them is enough. And so the fact that there was no storyline to speak <laughs> of in the first one was good with me i was actually happy with it just hanging out yeah it, it was basically epi- like an hour and a half long it, it was like an episode wasn't it really yeah. the wedding um, then the one on the honeymoon then the one where she finds out miranda told big not to get married i always think it's like a very little season all squished into one mm. the second film didn't exist so we can't oh. talk about it because there was never a second film it was, um, there was the the oh my god so so <laughs> the, the so thing much. for me in the second film is when she bumps into Aiden, and, and this is beside all of the cultural stereotypes and the horrendous nature of that, when she bumps into Aiden in a Persian market and kisses him and then comes back, she's like, it was all very charming when she was in her early 30s and she couldn't pay the rent and she was, you know, all over the shop and she, the person she loved the most in the world didn't love her back. That's all very charming. But when you own two, not one, but two Manhattan apartments outright... Outright, my friend, when you've got that much expensive real estate, the love of your life wants to be with you and you're with him. You have umpteen books on the shelf and you've won all these awards. You've got more money than God. I do not want to hear you complaining that you've accidentally kissed a handsome man. You are in your 40s. It's embarrassing. It's unseemly. You do not come back. You might say to a friend, oh, that was a bit of an odd moment. Oh, I'm not sure. Just processing it. You don't say, get out of the bath. I need you. Everyone needs to be here. You're in your 40s. You are embarrassing. You are not 15. You do not have to create a drama. No one has to get out of a bath. You process it in your own time. And either go, either by now, have figured out, have figured the fuck out. I can't do that kind of thing. It freaks me out. And don't do it. Or do it and go, okay, noted, processed. Have a chat to a friend over a glass of wine. What do you think? One of those. But it yeah. was so I was I was so ashamed for her to be telling anyone to get out of a bath. She's already made some out to get out of a bath in Los Angeles. I remember it with mm-hmm. that book tour. Do you remember that? I do. Yes. That's the second time she made some out to get out of a bath. And I'm not, I don't blame Samantha for leaving the group because <laughs> I, no friend should make you get out of a bath more than once for their man. Well, she didn't, she didn't get out of the bath this time. She she, Kim Cattrall was like, I'm staying the in the bath. <laughs> Did she not get out of the bath? <laughs> she, that's oh, she, now. That's where yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. definitely staying in the bath. She's maybe yeah. this does, maybe we can answer Carrie's question this in this on this road to becoming who we want to be I can't help but whine are we there yet and perhaps this is part of the problem which is Carrie is still an adolescent Mm. and that's why she is drawn back to the saloon where she expects a man she fucked once 13 years ago to remember who she is I mean 
to be fair, she's Sarah Jessica Parker, though. I, you'd think you'd remember. But it's funny. I'm not going to say which one it is, but there is a drag queen on this year's RuPaul's Drag Race that I think I might have had sex with about 13 years ago. <gasps> Wait a minute. Me too. Wait <laughs> until we stopped one. recording, please. <laughs> Let's stop. <Okay. laughs> But the thing is, I don't know, because it was a very different time. It was a time when I was drinking all the time and I was clubbing two or three times a week. I can't be expected to remember everybody I had sex with 13 years ago. And neither can Chad from TGI Fridays slash it, the thank saloon. You. It was the saloon. Was can the I saloon. just say, the most implausible part of that whole episode was that that waiter would still be working <gasps> at mean, the saloon. No, no Come way, on. Deborah. Again, I'm not going to say which venue it is in Brighton, but... A couple of weeks ago, I went for an afternoon drink with my friends in a pub in Brighton that I've not been in for years. And when the bartender that I used to have a crush on in 2006 served us, no. I almost shut myself. Because I don't want to shame anyone who has worked in a bar for at least 15 years. Yeah. No, that, no, no, no. There's man, nothing wrong man, with it. No. I just thought in New York, the way people chop and change, and, yeah, yeah, you know, move on. And hospitality jobs have, lives. yeah, hospitality jobs have such high turnover. Like it's very unlikely that you'll go into a venue and like pretty much usually the whole staff has changed when if you could go in like two years later always but listen if your barman was still there it was 1988 that it happened and then it was sometime in the 90s so it was about 12 years later if your barman was there that long ago then her waiter can maybe. be there i mm. just felt like maybe he should now be managing the restaurant or you know that yeah like it felt Some a little progression. bit like... Everyone deserves career progression. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that they didn't want to dwell on that. But if 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 he if she ordered something and then saw him and then said, Is it could I you know, could I have him? Oh, he's the manager. It, it, that would a little bit of I mean, or like no he cares. owned it. No, no one cares. <laughs> I, I, I just it just for me, I always bump it is, on it. I always go, sad. he's Can't still be, there. Yeah. But maybe he's meant to be that kind of pickled in aspic kind of guy yeah. who just keeps on shagging girls. Although he says to her, he shows no interest in her. He's quite flat and rude to her. Yeah. And then he says, was I at least um, clever enough to try something? And I'm like, why are you try not trying something now? If you, like, he's just absolutely blanking her. When she's yeah. clearly being a bit flirty with him and go, remember, remember. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, do you, the crackers come with the soup. <laughs> she, she is like she's she's little Arthur Annie. I th- I sometimes think that I think Sarah Jessica Parker must have seen the film Annie at a very impressionable age. And she was Annie on Broadway. She was, and so I, I think there is this kind of this wide eyed hi Chad, and he's like, yeah, um, yeah, and and I think that it works rather well. And the so, sun will come out tomorrow, Carrie. The sun will come out tomorrow. For, for Carrie, are we there yet? No. no. I, and I don't think she's not even by the second film was she there yet. So maybe, and just like that, she will finally Get arrive at the person I, she wants to be. I really hope so. But then also the drama <laughs> is in when you're not there. So exactly. I just hope they slightly update the problems to women in their 50s problems. And she's still not going, oh my God, I've yeah I don't know I just oh my god I fancy a man who's not my husband I sort of wish they'd reboot and have them all single again and and dating in their 50s I don't think they're going to though no we shall find out in two months it's coming back mid-November no sorry mid-December December December 10th I want to say I think (gasps) that's my birthday stop it stop it right now happy birthday Deborah. happy birthday I'm gonna have a watch I'm gonna have a watch party for my birthday in that case yeah you get Um, some cosmopolitans Run a bar. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Birkin, okay, ask, to... ask for a Birkin for your birthday. Ask for a ask Birkin. Ask for a 17 grand handbag. See how that goes down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like any maybe... other handbag, but it's a Birkin. I don't I don't like Birkins. I just no. think they're too big and bulky. Also, I I I have I only buy I only buy designer bags second hand. I will admit to you I had to stop watching Sex and the City in the depths of the lockdown. You know, the really first lockdown, it was you know that winter the first wintery, dark, mm-hmm. grey, horrendous lockdown where we couldn't go anywhere, it was illegal to leave the house. And even if you did go out for your daily government mandated walk, everything was shut and it was so it was like an apocalyptic nightmare. Yeah. Well, during that, loads of my friends started rewatching Sex the City as a sort of fun thing and comment making little Instagram stories. So I thought, oh, I'll join in with that. I was so desperate for I was just watching Carrie walk <laughs> down the street something. in the sunshine <laughs> yeah. and meet, but meeting people and things. And then she always had these great bags. So I would go on eBay in the middle of the night. I'd be watching this at one o'clock in the morning. And I'd buy like a secondhand Gucci tote. And I'd be like, where the fuck are you carrying anything? From the bedroom to the kitchen. What the fuck? You can't leave the house. What are you doing? I had to stop watching because I was buying them with money I didn't have. I wasn't earning anything. And I was like, you're just clicking wow. yes on PayPal and hoping something's there. It was terrible. So I bought two bags. Now, I will, I will say I've worn them the whole time yes. since we've been back out. Uh, because they remind me of the time where I felt like I'll never walk down the street with my Carrie Bradshaw strut and tote again. And here that's I really, am. That's here really great. Are. That's you kind of reclaiming reclaiming life, isn't it? I mm. am reclaiming life, Dylan. I'm glad mm. you've noticed. Thank you. And <laughs> my reclamation is clear. And uh, But I will never buy a Birkin because I just think what you could do with that money. I mean, I'm talking about small hundreds of pounds. And yeah. I know it's all relative, but... I will never, ever, 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 ever buy Birkin because it's just a, it's just a lie. It's just mm. a lie that it's worth anything mm. like that. It's a status symbol. You might as well carry the severed head of somebody around. That that's the equivalent, mm. which is you are really making a statement, and the statement is, "I have more money than God." Um, Sorry, is this like the severed head of Gucci, or is this, <laughs> is this the severed head of Donald Trump? Like, where well, are we it's, thinking? It's, it's just, it's that. It's you're really trying to make a statement by carrying a Birkin because if it's an ugly bag, it looks like something. In fact, it looks like something a Backstreet abortionist would carry, like it their does. tools. It looks like you would open it up and out would come like a hacksaw or You're something. so right about that. It's Do you know, can back. I say, just can I say, if you are thinking about carrying a severed head as a status symbol, maybe go to the Met Gala and do it there. I wouldn't just like go Jared into... I wouldn't just go to Soho House on a Wednesday night. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go down as well as you think. <laughs> okay, I will take a Birkin instead. I will go on Vestiaire Collective and get a Birkin. I That's couldn't help I wondering... It's a severed head Just going a to cause a scandal <laughs> in Soho this weekend. Um, Correct. Yes. Well, listen. When uh, when the new when the new reboot comes out, uh, please invite me back because I will have so much to say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, or I'll just send you little voice notes. When you don't have to I think have me back. Dylan and I are still, we're still, this is, obviously we'll, we'll share this with our listeners. We're still not quite sure what we're going to do with them just like that. Do, do we attempt to pod it every week? Are we going to be frantically podcasting in the middle of the night after episodes have aired? Who can say? It seems unlikely we have lives. But um, yeah, we'll approach with caution. Um, Deborah, thank you very much for joining us. Is there anything you would like to plug while you are, while you have the ears of our listeners? 
Yes, I do a podcast called The Guilty Feminist Podcast, which is about our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I also have a book, which is a Sunday Times bestseller. Stop going on about it. It's embarrassing. Uh, and uh, you can buy that. Uh, you can listen to the podcast for free. Um, and there are many, many episodes. Uh, get stuck Binge in. them. We are going to be doing uh, some, releasing some more podcasts soon. So watch this space, guiltyfeminist.com. And you'll see some other podcasts coming out of the house of the Guilty Feminist for Acast. You can find us, dear listeners, at S-I-G-T-T podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Deborah, where can we find you online? Uh, Instagram at D-F-Dubs, D-F-D-U-B-Z. On Twitter at Deborah F-W, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-F-W. And... I mean, just Google me or you know, guiltyfeminist.com is the website. We've got shows coming up. We've got shows uh, in October, November. Shows, yeah. Live shows. Live They're back. Shows. Yeah, we always used to record in front of a live audience and then lockdown killed that. But it, we're coming back now. We're coming out of our cage and we're doing just fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, come and see us in other flesh. Uh, this has been uh, a really lovely. Um, it's been lovely Thank to spend you. just an hour or so with you living my best Carrie sex Bradshaw <laughs> Deborah, we always ask our guests, which Sex and the City character are you? I think I'm equal parts, uh, I think I'm equal parts Carrie, Miranda and Samantha. And mm. I think I every now and again have a touch of the Charlottes. But I think in my career focus, I'm, I'm Miranda I, I love the shamelessness of Samantha. I think she was ahead of her time with her sex positivity. But of course, at the end of the day, really, I'm a writer with an existential crisis on, wanting to be loved and adored by everybody. And by the way, in the in the reboot, Carrie Bradshaw's now a podcaster, apparently. Yes. Thanks to my job. Mm. Excuse yes. me. Excuse me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited about that and also a little bit threatened. <laughs> oh my gosh imagine if they do the fictional podcast to go with the series oh no they won't oh, no. They no. surely not no spare no. us and we could be guests on it that would be meta wouldn't it <gasps> yes actually do it do it do it do it, do it. we want to be on it we want to be on it <laughs> thank you so much for listening everyone and we will see you next week when we will be watching Just Say Yes until then take care bye 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.